Welcome to Enigmatic Metallic Podcast, where we respect fashion's past, analyze fashion's present, and get excited about fashion's future. I'm Liberty Ampoff, founder and creative principal of fashion media company Manic Metallic. Once a week, we'll bring you episodes about exciting things happening in fashion, discussion about current things facing the industry, and the places and people that have made the fashion industry great. We'll have a mixture of episodes with guest interviews and solo episodes, all designed to challenge your assumption of what fashion is, who it is for, and who can participate in this industry. Be sure to subscribe to our newsletter and follow us on Instagram at the Metapathology Podcast and at Metapathology. We'll link in our show notes. Now, let's get into today's episode. Welcome to season three of the Manic Metallic Podcast. I'm Liberty, your host, and I'm really excited to be debuting our first season in which we're going to have episodes with guest interviews in addition to our solo episodes. Now, in this first episode of the season, we're going to have a conversation with designer Tarina Nicole. Tarina is just a bit of background honor. I've known her for a couple of years. I follow what she does, and I really admire what she does. She is a New Jersey native that creates beautiful, bold statement pieces for art and design lovers. She's the designer and founder of Gypsy Leather Goods, a line of luxury leather home goods, handbags, and jewelry made primarily of recycled skins. She's also the author of Envision, the Young Accessory Designer's Guide to Collection Development, the founder of the Independent Designer Showcase, and the co-founder of DIY Makers Con, a conference for creative women makers. In 2020, she founded the Fashion Design Center of South Jersey to make design education available to Camden residents. Her most recent venture is a boutique called the Sustainable Style Studio in which she offers vintage and handcrafted fashion and home decor designed by local makers. We've got a great conversation with Tarina coming up, so let's welcome her to the show. Tarina, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Liberty. I'm honored to be here. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on too because I know that you were actually one of the first people to interview me when Manic Metallic was just getting started. And that was such a good time that I figured, okay, I'm definitely going to have to have you on ours when we come out with the podcast. So you were such a good guest. Thank you for coming on to my show. Of course, of course. So the first thing that I would like to ask you is just summarize in a couple of sentences what your involvement is with fashion for our listeners. I mean, I know a lot about what you do. You do everything, but just (laughs) let people know like what you do with the industry. Yeah, sure. Um, My name is Tarina Nicole Hill and I am a sustainable accessory designer, which means that I use upcycled leather primarily when designing leather handbags and leather accessories. My accessories extend into home decor and jewelry as well, but I really consider myself a handbag designer. Beyond that, I own a boutique called the Sustainable Style Studio, where I sell my work as well as the work of other sustainable fashion and accessory designers. Lastly, I'm a design educator. I teach accessory design at Drexel University, and I run my own fashion design program called the Fashion Design Center of South Jersey, where I teach fashion entrepreneurship, sewing, like basic sewing. I have other designers and artisans come in and teach their specialty, which may be crocheting or metal smithing or lingerie design. 
And in the summer, I run a fashion design summer camp, which is a lot of fun. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. If I, I got to say, when I was a child, you know, I grew up in the suburbs of Atlanta, like 35 miles east of the city. And mm-hmm. that is something that I could only wish to have had at my disposal. <laughs> so, um, yeah, there was, there was literally like nothing to do in my hometown. <laughs> but Yeah, uh, I didn't have any of that growing up. Luckily, the luck of the draw, my mom is an amazing um, tailor. Well, she was an amazing tailor. So she made all of my clothing until I was like entering junior high school. She made all of our home decor. We need new curtains. Mama whips them up. We need new throw pillows. Mama whips them up. Super handy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So it was super handy that I grew up seeing it. And I just so happened to go to a high school that had a fashion design class. We didn't Mm -hmm. have that, but we had fashion design. And I was like, oh, that's, that's where I'm at. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't fed to me very, very early. Like I start my fashion design camp at like age seven, eight, seven, there was nothing for me. But by high school, I had the, you know, the fortune of taking fashion design courses. Yeah, that's, that's really awesome. I know that when I was in high school, the closest thing we had was home ec and I got to take one, not even one year. I think it was like one semester of interior design. Oh, but that, that's like not the same at all. But um, I don't know. I just feel like even interior design helps you think about what colors look good together. You start to think about placement and how things fit well into a space. I would have liked that. I would have enjoyed that. I actually do think that it was fun. It did help me to learn a lot about colors and color combinations, but I don't want to dwell too much on that. Let's get to the next question. <laughs> <laughs> so um, could you talk a little bit about your early life. And I know you kind of just did, but just how did it specifically direct you towards getting into the fashion industry? Absolutely. So growing up, all I knew about myself very early is that I was very smart. I was always <laughs> in all the honor classes and they were always trying to skip me. No one ever mentioned to me that I was creative. I, I will say I had a mom who was big on oh it's raining outside oh it's cold outside let's pull out some finger paints and she'll put newspaper down on the floor yeah we'll get down and we'll finger paint so she did encourage and you know our creativity but I had no way of knowing whether or not I was quote-unquote gifted or talented but in my district growing up in Irvington New Jersey which is a sub well which was a suburb of Newark New Jersey I don't was is is it not anymore I it's the ghetto now <laughs> well when I was young it was still very nice but by the time I got to high school Irvington was Newark it was one in the same basically <laughs> all right yeah the the behavior was the same by that time but anyway um, I moved to Irvington in the early 80s when it was still very much chill. So anyway, my district had a program for gifted and talented students mm-hmm. on the other side of Irvington, which was still more suburban than the side that I lived on, right? And okay. so to get there, I would have to take three um, buses, public buses, public school buses. I mean, public, um, what do you call it? Public transportation buses, not school right. buses. 
know? And so uh, it was it was a hike, but I was chosen to be in the district's gifted and talented program, which meant that every morning I would come in and I would spend two hours before I did anything else, before math, science or anything, I was in art. And so because of that, I got to do a little bit of everything. I got to do some photography. I mean, literally in the dark room, you know, with my 35 millimeter camera um, developing film, I got to do architecture. I got to do a lot of different things. And I discovered at that point that fashion design was my thing. And so um, by, yeah, by the time seventh, eighth grade, I was certain I was going to become a fashion designer. And in Newark, there is a school called Arts High. It's actually the nation's first art-based high school. The show Fame um, really comes from this idea of having this arts high school where teenagers can develop their talent. And Arts High was the first in the country. It's in Newark. And I applied and was accepted into Arts High School. The only problem was only one other person I knew went and I, I don't know. I just, at the time I was still very shy and I just felt very awkward coming from a smaller environment in Irvington and going to the quote unquote big city in Newark every day and being in this bigger high school surrounded by people I didn't know. And so ultimately I asked to be transferred out and went to- yeah, I did. It was a big regret of mine for a long time. I, I didn't even give it two months, you know? By the time we were in October, I was crying, begging to be transferred into Irvington High School. And I did. Um, the benefit of doing that, though, is Irvington High School did also have a fashion design class, whereas at Arts High School, it would have been my major. So I did get to still stay in fashion. And also my art teacher there was Queen Latifah's mom, Miss Owen. Oh, very cool. (laughs) And so Queen Latifah would always come to the school and play us new music and things like that. And this was in 1990, 1991. She was huge. You know, she was a really big star. Not that she isn't today, but she was like the biggest thing in female hip hop. And so it was just an environment where I felt like a lot of things were possible. You know, you see right. people like you be on, you know, they, they're in person one day, they're on TV the next day, and you felt like what you wanted to achieve is achievable, you know? But then on the backside of that, my mom coming from a generation before me, me and my mom are 20 years apart, and I'm the eldest, and she just didn't see that, you know? She just... She was just like, you know, I don't know any black fashion designers. You can't be a fashion designer. There are no black fashion designers. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of it was true at the time. There weren't a lot of well-known fashion designers that the average person knew. You had to be in fashion to Mm -hmm. know about, you know, the Patrick Kellys and and things of that sort. But also, you know, later in the 90s, by like uh, mid-90s, Brands like FUBU were becoming really popular and cross colors and things like that. More like street fashion. Right. <laughs> but I wasn't deterrent. I, you know, I, I had my mind made up. My mom, though, she made me go to school for college for fashion marketing because she felt like, you know, I don't know about 
being a black fashion designer. I've never heard of such a thing. So it but, sounds like she wanted to give you a bit of like, you can be in fashion, but here's I, something that's a little more practical. A little more practical. Exactly. And because, you know, I was, I was 17, 18, I had no way of paying my own tuition. I felt like I had to do what she told me to do. Right. And so I did go to the Art Institute of Philadelphia to study fashion marketing. Now, my first choice was to go to FIT, Fashion Institute of Technology in New York City, and study fashion design. But again, like I said, my mom, you know, didn't give me the thumbs up for that. So I went to Philly, had never been to Philly a day in my life because I'm from North Jersey. You have Um, no reason to be down here if you're from North Jersey. (laughs) I had no reason. You know, New York City was my playground. And my mom thought, because we live so close to New York City, and we don't get the news, the Philly news down, you know, up in North Jersey. Mm-hmm. She just assumed that Philly would be safer than New York City. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what a laugh. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, that definitely was not the case. So I got to Philly. Love Philadelphia. I fell in love with Phil to this day. I live in South Jersey now because of my love for Philadelphia. I absolutely right. love But... Ultimately, fashion marketing just didn't interest me. You know, I'm glad I spent that semester or two just learning what it was so that I could have some business sense. Um, But I'm a designer, I'm a creative. And ultimately, I realized my mom happened to be in college herself at the time. So she was raising my two younger brothers and putting herself through college. And she really couldn't afford to pay both of our tuition. And so I said, well, if I'm going to be paying my own tuition, I'm going to go where I want to go. And so I transferred to FIT in New York City and the rest was history. You know, I I put myself through that degree program. Ultimately, I did change my major from fashion design to accessory design. It had never dawned on me that someone's out here designing the handbags and the shoes that we wear. And once I realized that was a thing, oh my gosh, it just... It changed my life. I graduated in 2004 and I worked in the industry for about 10 years before becoming self-employed, but I never looked back. I love handbag design. Right. And I feel like when any of us that is interested in fashion, when we when we first learn about the industry, we generally know two things. You can be a fashion designer or you can be a model. Right. Yeah. I mean... So much in between, you know, it's so funny because my first job in the industry during my freshman year at FIT, I was going to school nights and weekends because since I had to put myself through school, I needed to have a full-time job. And so it took me forever to get through FIT and that was only an associate's degree. You know, I went on to get my master's, but Earning my associate's degree took me like seven years because <laughs> I was working full time and putting myself through school and paying rent and car payments. And the all thing that. is, like, if if you're doing everything yourself, I mean, it takes yeah, time. Yeah, you know, maybe it takes two. You know, it's it's a two year program. It takes seven years, but I mean, the important thing is that you made it and you made it off yeah. the back of your own hard work. So but, that's okay. Exactly, and not only that, but I was working in the industry while earning the degree you know Mm -hmm. and so my very first 
Scott was um, a technician, uh, a spec technician for the company that manufactures Timbaland's clothing. So, you know, Timbaland has the footwear, but Timbaland also does hoodies and vests and, right. and clothing. And um, the company is in the Empire State Building. And so... Um, That's something just, cool, going to work in the Empire State yeah, Building today. <laughs> every day at the Empire State Building. I thought it was really awesome. I got that job because I was going to school nights and weekends. The funny thing about when you go to school nights and weekends, you're surrounded by other adults who work in the industry and they go to school nights and weekends because they have a full-time job in the industry. Right. And so this woman who sat next to me in my Saturday illustration class, she and I would chat every day, well, every Saturday. And one day she said, you know, there's a woman who works at my job who's going on maternity leave and she's our spec technician. She's going to be gone six months. And, oh, what I didn't tell you is when I applied, we applied to FIT because I applied in high school. I got in. But of course, I went to Philadelphia instead. Right. When I reapplied to FIT, I got in, but it was like spring when I reapplied and, you know, school starts in September and I was so antsy. I couldn't wait. I couldn't wait. So right. I found a school called the Fashion Designs. What is it called? The Fashion Design Institute or something. I forget what it's called, but it was located downtown Newark. And so uh, right by my pediatrician, because I was still going to my pediatrician until I was like 21. And so across the street from my pediatrician was a fashion institute. And so I walked over one day and I said, you know, I just got into FIT. School doesn't start until fall for me, but I want to learn something now. What can I sign up for? Can I take sewing classes? What do you have? And she said, well, the only thing I have that's starting right now is pattern making. I didn't know what pattern making was, you know? Right. And so I, by the time I started FIT, I was certified in pattern making. Yeah. I took hey. two pattern making courses and got my certification there. And you so know what? One, one thing before you go on, I feel like the fashion industry doesn't do a great job at all of just letting us know everything else that there is available. Like you don't have to just be a designer or a model or like, you know, what have you like there there's so much else available right, right like pattern right. making pattern making yes and so if you've ever done any sewing you know that you buy commercial pattern and the pattern will show a picture of what this will look like once you complete it and the pattern has a a piece for your sleeve a piece for your cuff a piece for your collar a piece for the back a piece right. for the all those pattern pieces Someone has to create, you know, someone mm -hmm. has to say the cuff is going to be three inches long by 19 inches and the zipper is going to go here. Someone has to do all of that technical stuff. Right. And the pattern maker does. And so by the time I got to FIT, I was certified as a pattern maker. I guess I must have mentioned this to the lady who sat next to me in my Saturday class because she thought I would be perfect to come in and fill in position while this woman who was the spec technician mm -hmm. go out on maternity leave. I had never heard of a spec technician. So I showed up to the interview like, oh, I can do this and I can do that. And it's true. I could right. do it. I just. <laughs> So it was a thing, you know, to be a spec technician. So what does a spec technician do? I'll tell you really quickly. The pattern maker makes the pattern, right? Mm -hmm. Then 
the sample maker cuts the fabric, sews up the very first quote unquote sample. It's the first, it's the first realized piece of what was designed, right? So if you design somebody, someone has to take that pattern, cut that fabric, and sew it and say, here, this is what you designed. This is what it looks like. That is the sample. Okay. The spec technician takes all the measurements and they compare it to what was the original design. So if the design called for the sleeve to be opened by six inches, the spec technician takes her measuring tape and makes sure that finished hoodie opens at the sleeve at six inches. You know, she measures all the specs. Spec stands for specifications. So if the shoulder was supposed to be eight inches wide, she's going to measure that sample to make sure it is actually eight inches wide, now, you know? If, so if to you're make sure all... What happens if any of the specs are off? So you get what's called um, um, like a... Oh, I forget the word because it's been 20 years since I did the job, but you get like leeway of 10%. So if it's off by like 2%, let it go. If it's off by 10% or more, then they have to go back and um, make a whole new sample because that sample within the specifications. Because what happens to that sample is it gets sent to the factory and it's like, copy this if we ordered i don't know you need a thousand of them a thousand of them have to be based on this correct sample we know yes, that we and if the specs are off by too much and then you send it off to the factory then the whole yeah. line is just trash exactly yeah. exactly exactly and then what the factory does is because now the factory has to grade it up and down mm -hmm. so you sent them a medium um, sample, they now have to take that perfect sample, grade it down to small, extra small, and now grade it up to large, extra large. It's never going to be right if the sample was incorrect, right? Right. So now they have to do a top of production sample saying, okay, you sent us, this is what we're sending you. Now I got to sit there and get all the specs and make sure everything is right so that we can say, okay, you're, you're doing it as we requested That's a really and important job it's a, it's an important job and now what you made can be shipped to the stores because we know that you're on point so it was an important job but i didn't know it existed you know and so like you said there are so many important jobs in fashion people think you just design and it shows up in the store but there's so many little steps in between and person has that job in between no one does a to z themselves you know there are so many jobs in between mm -hmm. okay so let's actually just keep going i mean you're giving us a um i had a couple of questions about how you got to the point that you're at now in fashion but you're already kind of walking us through that so let's just keep going on that timeline Okay. And so I did that for the six months until the woman came back from maternity leave. And there were other jobs while I was still in school at FIT. I had a good friend while I was still in the fashion design program before I transferred to the accessory design degree. She was maybe a year ahead of me. And we became really, really close to the extent that we both opened boutiques right next to each other and things like that. And she was hired because I think she had already graduated because she was a year ahead of me. She was hired to be a designer for a new line that was called Amiat. And it was headquartered in New York City. 
and they were looking for an accessory designer. So my very first job as an accessory designer was for this brand new line that was being paid for by a much bigger company called Kids Headquarters. Now, Kids Headquarters is a company, you never hear the name Kids Headquarters, but they- I've never heard it. Okay. So yeah, they own the rights to a lot of, not the rights, but they own the, um, yeah, the rights to use Dora the Explorer and maybe Mickey Mouse or maybe all of these different characters mm -hmm. and they, um, they have the licensing deals, you know, to create products, clothing products for the children industry. And so they're very, there's, a, you know, they're a billion dollar company and they have this whole building on 34th street and New York city. And so they gave us an office and Amiot was being developed because they wanted to get into, at the time, you know, Nelly had apple bottom jeans and there was woo wear from the routine clan and Jay-Z mm -hmm. at rock aware Beyonce was putting out her Darion line. They all had their lines, yeah. All <laughs> hip-hop lines. And at the time, you know, this company, Kids Headquarters, was run by, like, young Jewish men. And they wanted to get into that that hip-hop uh, <laughs> fashion world. And so, anyway, Amiat was going to be that line. And so I was designing the handbag collection for Amiat. Uh, eventually, Amiat fell apart because there was sexual harassment and all type of nonsense. And I wanted right. to company. It was it was a disaster. But anyway, it did help me develop my you know portfolio, and I was able to move on and design for Fruit of the Loom. I was their color coordinator. Then I was at a company called Patra who made these very ornate gowns that came out of India that sold in department stores like JCPenney's. Mm -hmm. So I was there wow, before I went on to design for Capelli New York. I was at Capelli New York. I did like Capelli New York. Capelli New York does a lot of, what do you call it? Uh, kind of what you would think of as ghost designing. So when you so go- like ghost writing, but just ghost designing. Exactly. So when you go to Target, Target doesn't design its own shoes, you know? And so they will have someone like Capelli in New York show them their new collection and they'll say, oh, we like that, but we're going to add a bow hair and we're going to add, I don't know, some fur trim here. Please go produce that and ship it with our label in it, you know? You it's like licensing? It, it's, it's not really licensing because the difference between licensing is licensing is you have this famous name or logo or character and right. we want to use that in our products. What Capelli New York and companies like Capelli New York do is they design a new collection like every other brand, but they know that they don't have a famous name. So they'll go to a big retailer like a Macy's, like a Target, show <laughs> what they've designed. And Macy's or Target will say, yeah, we're going to carry that. That's how you can go to two different stores and find the same looking shoe, but they have two different labels inside. Right. Like, you, sometimes I, I, my, me and my best friend, we, we always wind up dressing alike and she'll show up with a jacket. And it's like, I have that same jacket. 
but it's from two different brands. She has a different mm -hmm. label in her jacket than I have in mine. And the way that happens is, yeah, the same brand actually, or the same company, the same manufacturing company actually made both jackets. It's just that they made it for Macy's and Macy's put their label in it and they made it for Target and Target put their label in it. And both companies may change a minor thing because Target is lower end than Macy's. Target might say, hmm, at our price point, we're going to have to use a cheaper version of that material, you know? Right. So it, you know, it'll it be the same exact design, same exact color, but the material will be slightly different because right. they both came from the same factory, but they have different labels in it because they were sold to two different companies. And so right. I did that for quite a while. In 2008, it was a disaster. I was laid off from Me Too Shoes and Capelli New York because we were in a recession. And so all the companies, I feel like the fashion industry was hit first because we were losing jobs and didn't know we were in a recession. We were just like, what is going on here? Not right. only are you losing a job, but you can't find a new job, you know? And it wasn't for like maybe six months before it was announced that we were in a recession. And so it was uh, that six months was very confusing and upsetting because no one had any empathy. <laughs> right. Like, well, uh, well, sorry, you lost your job, you know, no one cares. But then we realized the whole country was in a recession. And so I realized that recession or not, I still have to eat and feed my child. You know, I was with divorce and I knew that the one thing I could always do, I had started a handbag line in 2001 when I was running my boutique. And by 2008, I realized if I couldn't do anything else, I could always relaunch my handbag line. And that's what I did. <laughs> right. Well, that's, that's the good thing about like, once you gain skills, the yes. ability to do something, you can always go back to it. It's like, your set point, your abilities were maybe not quite there before, but like once you're able to do this one thing, like I can make handbags or I can make dresses, you can always fall back on that. So one thing about that time is not only were jobs in the fashion industry like impossible to come across because so many companies were closing down. And people just didn't have the money to spend. Like houses were going to foreclosure left and right. It was just a, a crazy time. But what was not changing is there were still students who needed to learn. <laughs> and because of that, lots of opportunities to come to after school programs to set up a fashion design program. I was finding people were reaching out left and right. Would I come to a summer camp and set up a fashion design program? And I had never considered teaching. It never crossed my mind that I would teach or could teach, even though I was qualified to do so. I just, I just didn't know, you know, that that was a thing. But I had a child to feed. My daughter was like five at the time. She was in mm -hmm. kindergarten. And, you know, I was going through a divorce, I had mortgage, I had all the bills. So I had to take whatever jobs that came my way. And I discovered that I love teaching. Not only did I love teaching, but teaching gave me a lot of flexibility. You know, I didn't have to be in an office from nine to five. I can go in for two hours at this program and two hours at another program. Right. And, and I know um, if we found I was going to say, like, if we fast forward just a little bit really quickly, you do a lot of teaching now. Like, 
at universities and then you've got the fashion design center of south jersey and then i think that there are a couple of other yeah so that was spearheaded during that time you know i i was saying that to say that if it wasn't for the recession of 2008 i would not have discovered my passion for teaching which i believe is what i'm supposed to be doing and so yes when i moved to camden in 2015 After earning my master's degree in design, I wanted to have an impact here. You know, Camden is or had been the poorest city in the country. It's, you know, changing, it's improving, it's evolving, but still has a long way to go. And one thing that was clearly missing is creative outlets for kids. If you live in the suburbs, you can go take a a sewing class on a Saturday. You can go take a dance class. You can do all these creative things. You can go to the museum. You know, a lot of that just Mm -hmm. didn't exist here in Camden. And I thought that was unfortunate because I was certain that there were creative kids here who would love things like that. So I set up the Fashion Design Center of South Jersey here in Camden. Another thing I set up, which we came to, was the Independent Fashion Design Showcase. Because again, I came down here and I could not find a fashion enclave. I could not find a fashion design community. And being in other cities like New York City, I lived in Atlanta for a year. Being in other cities, fashion designers, you know, we all know one another. We all collaborate and things like that. So I set up the Fashion Design Showcase so that I could pull all the designers who are quietly working in their studios out of these studios and into the public eye by putting together a showcase. I I started teaching at Drexel. I teach the accessory design program there every spring. I've taught at Moore College of Art. I've taught all the way up in Brooklyn at the Brooklyn Children's Museum, teaching fashion uh, sustainability. And so teaching is something that I do have to thank that recession for because I would have never discovered my love and my passion for teaching. Right. Now, do you find having come down here to Camden and the Philadelphia area in general, do you find that since you've made these efforts to build out these pockets where people can go to learn about fashion if they're younger or older, doesn't matter, or if they're fashion designers now and just need a community, do you find that that community has started to gel a little bit more? Like, how would you describe the community in this area? To be quite honest, no. And I am not really sure if that's a reflection of me or just the the mindset here, or maybe there needs to be more than just me doing this, you know, because I feel like, yes, the designers will show up and show out for the annual showcase, which I appreciate. But throughout the year, if I'm not putting on an event, is nothing happening, you know? So I still feel like there still isn't community, you know? I still don't feel like there are meetups and and things happening outside of me making it happen. And ultimately it has to go beyond me. So I don't know, maybe it's going to just take a few more years of consistency before people just get the battery in their back and want to also add on to that type of energy. Right. I've got something that I was planning. I was thinking about just about a week or so ago, not so much thinking along the lines of how the community is here per se, but- 
Philly's different. Philly actually has a very strong community for uh, the arts in general. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm still thinking about South Jersey when I see, okay, okay, okay. you know, what's happening here. Mm-hmm. All right. But yeah, I mean, I do have something that I think that you might be interested in. So um, keep an eye out for that. Okay. Right. So let's see. What's something that you... I mean, you're working on a lot of stuff. I know. But like, what is something would you say that you're currently working on like right now, this instant that you're excited about as it relates to fashion? Well, I just opened the Sustainable Style Studio. So this is still my my favorite new baby, mm-hmm. which again is the boutique that I opened in Camden to sell the work of other sustainable fashion designers, makers, and creatives. So I'm very, very excited about that. But also, this week, I launched a YouTube series. Cool. So I'm really thrilled about that. I was already running a podcast, which we just said that uh, you came on to a couple years ago. And what I realized is because fashion is such a visual thing, podcasting probably wasn't the right format for me because I was having designers also not only tell me about their journey, but at the end of the interview, exhibit a, well, show their work, but also exhibit a DIY that they would teach to my audience. So Luckily, I would always have the camera on so I could broadcast that on YouTube anyway. But for my listeners, they would always have to stop listening and go over to the YouTube to see this DIY. Right. And I just felt, you know, why don't I just stick to YouTube? And so, right. and so I launched this series called the Studio Series because I feel as a teacher, there are so many parents who are just in the dark. They don't know other designers or artists or makers who make a living full time doing what they're passionate about. And right. so because they discourage their own creative children from that path. And I just felt like that's ignorant. And the way to dispel that myth and to clear up that ignorance is to let the general public into our studios. How would you know what you've never seen? And that's so, a really good way of thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And so sometimes we'll just be kicking it in my own studio and other times I'm going out to other artists and interviewing them in their studios and giving a tour of their space and their work. And so my <laughs> very first episode launched yesterday. And we went to a fine artist studio by the name of Katrina Tapper. She's from South Jersey. And to make her, because she paints these beautiful portraits on canvas and to make her work more accessible, she started painting on jackets. Oh gosh, she's that one. She's the one that made the jackets. Yes. I love those jackets. They're beautiful. And I carry them in my shop. And so, yeah, my very first episode, we went to Katrina's studio. It was fantastic. I'll have to take a look at that. I mean, I I think that she does really good work if, again, if those jackets are any indication. Now, yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, before I go on, I want to ask, because when I went to your studio with my husband, we looked around, we really liked it. And I got kind of jealous. I was thinking, you know, maybe I should stop working from home so much. Maybe I should go and drop some money and get a studio. So could you tell our listeners how how you got the studio? Like how you came oh. across the space? Well, to be honest, this is my third commercial studio. 
So I first got a design studio in Newark. And there was just a building that was being renovated to have art studios. And so I applied, I got one. But once I got here in Camden, same thing was happening on Broadway, the building Camden Fireworks, right. where I had a showcase on the main level, the art gallery and upstairs, it was broken into small studios. And same thing, I applied, I got one. This studio where I'm at is pretty much across the street. It's like a block away from Camden Fireworks on the other side of the street, still on Broadway. I It was not intentional. I This is on the grounds of a museum. And so because I'm also the art teacher at the Catholic school on the corner, I came here to see the exhibit in the museum because I wanted to see whether or not it was age appropriate for my students. I wanted to take them on a walking field trip to the museum because unfortunately Camden has no other museums and everyone assumes this one is abandoned. (laughs) I wanted my students to know that right in their community, they do have a museum, but I didn't want to take them to see something that was obscene, obviously because of their age and because it's a Catholic school. So I came, I knew the exhibit was about tattoos. So I just wanted to see it myself before I brought my students over. So I got here, I saw the exhibit and on my way out, the um, executive director was like, do you know any artists looking for studio space? Because we have this commercial space and it's empty. It's been empty for years. And I said, well, you know, I'm across the street at Camden Fireworks. That's where my studio is. That's where all the other artists in Camden that I know have studio spaces. So no, I don't know anyone. And so he said, well, would you mind peeking in so you can take some pictures and maybe post it on your social media? Maybe Mm -hmm. someone else would want the space. And I peeked in and my mouth hit the floor as soon as- You knew it it was was yours. I knew it was mine. I knew it was mine. I was just like, where do I sign up? (laughs) So I had- (laughs) break my lease at fireworks to take the space and I haven't looked back because the square footage because I had two studios at fireworks so my square footage is about the same but the floor plan is totally different in the front it's my boutique in the back it's my design studio and it just gives me two spaces to do the things that are important to me a make my work and b support the work of other artists and designers I got you. So I've got so much more that I could ask and add to that, but we're getting towards the end now. So just a few more questions. Now, in terms of the overall fashion industry, I know that you're doing a lot in the Camden community to try to build community with creatives and fashion types. In terms of the overall fashion industry, what direction do you think that it needs to go in? Like, where would you like to see fashion going? I feel like we are in a a good time for sustainability. I feel like sustainability is on the tongues of everyone who's in the industry right now. The only problem is that's a buzzword within the industry and not really trickling down as much to the general public. The general public, if you say green fashion, sustainable fashion, they're still like, what are you talking about? And so I think you're talking about like thrift stores or something, like going thrifting. So Yes, that's the only thing that comes to mind is thrifting. And yes, thrifting is one way to be more sustainable. But 
you know, I set up a rack here in my boutique for people to come and just swap. You don't have to spend a dime here. Bring the clothes that you're no longer wearing and swap them for clothes that you do want to wear. Awesome. Walk away with clothes that you spent no money on. And so that's one thing, swapping, thrifting, also upcycling, also mending what you have. So many people will put a coat or a jacket or a pair of jeans in the trash because a button fell off. Really? People, people do that? Who are these people? <laughs> yes, all the time. It breaks my heart. And, you know, people don't realize that fashion it has become the second most pollutant industry in the world. The fashion industry is killing our planet. One, because of the resources that we use to make all these clothes. And two, because of all of the cheap synthetic fibers that we're using in clothes now that right. they don't biodegrade. So when they go to the landfill, they stay there for thousands and thousands of years. Right. You know, it takes, I forget, more than a thousand gallons of water to make one pair of jeans. I think it's like 1800 gallons or something like that to grow wow. enough cotton. Yeah. To grow enough cotton to produce one pair of jeans. And then we'll wear them. Oh, they don't fit anymore. Throw them in the trash. I it's bet just they, like, are you kidding me? I bet that these water starved countries would love to have those thousands of gallons of water going into jeans. A hundred percent, you know? And so there is a population, more educated, sophisticated population that is all for sustainable fashion. But I think we need to move into a time and place where the average person is at least educated on what harm fashion is doing to the environment so that they can at least be aware of the choices that they're making. Not to even mention all the child labor and slave labor that's behind all these fast fashion brands. And I find right. people of color have a lot of nerve participating and benefiting off of slave labor so that they can have an $8 dress from H&M. Oh gosh, it's just the sustainable crisis that we're in right now. Fast fashion, it all, it all kills my soul, I gotta say. And I wish that we could, we should talk about that more, maybe in a future podcast or something somehow, because I feel like that's something that needs to be illuminated more for people. So, yeah. So a couple more questions. Do you have if you could give one piece of advice to anyone that is trying to get into the fashion industry or otherwise just be involved in fashion, what would you tell them? Definitely build relationships. I can tell you that at least 50% of the jobs I got in the industry working in corporate America, designing for different brands were because my name was brought up in rooms that I had never entered. So the best way to yeah. build is to actually go to fashion design school. Because typically your mom is a nurse and I don't know, your dad is a school teacher. Chances are he doesn't know anyone who's designing at Nike. He doesn't There's like know a 100% chance of that. Yep. Yeah. They don't know you anyone. Know? 
Right. You know, your mom, if your mom is a nurse, your mom knows nurses. If your dad is a teacher, your dad knows teachers and school principals. But if you want to be a designer to get your foot in the door, you have to know people who are designers so that you can get that internship while you're still in high school. You can get that part-time job or paid internship while you're in college so that when you graduate, you already have a position waiting for you or you already have opportunities to freelance. So I definitely recommend getting relationships and to build relationships, you actually have to be around those type of people and no better place is to just go to school for fashion design. Because not only are Mm -hmm. you learning to design, but you're surrounding yourself with professors and other students who are in the industry. They have their own network, their own relationships. And when they're looking for someone to join their team, they're just going to look to their friend who they know is talented. Mm -hmm. Also, these schools have job boards. And so, you know, anytime I needed a new position, whether it was part-time, freelance, full-time, All I did was go to FIT's job board, got down some names and numbers, made some phone calls, sent off my resume, and boom, I had my new next job. And there's a website called stylecareers.com where all the industry jobs are. And so it's just not hard. You just have to be in the place. You can't be out in Omaha on your sofa thinking, oh, I would love to be a fashion designer. I don't know where to start. Well, you start by surrounding yourself by other fashion designers and fashion students. And you do that by going to a school that offers that program. That's that's all really good advice because, yeah, it's it's actually really rare, I feel like, in the United States generally that you're going to just come out of your hometown knowing someone that's in fashion at all because I feel like we're in a country that I know that we've got a lot of really talented creatives here but I believe that we don't if if you live in the United States that is I know that we have a lot of international listeners but if you live in the United States then we aren't necessarily in a conducive environment to creativity so you're probably going to have to you know I don't think that it's a 100% necessity that you have to go to fashion design school or just, but I do think that you, it would probably be a huge help because you're going to get that network. To get the network. And I tell my daughter that all the time. She's in school getting her degree in illustration. There are plenty of artists who don't have degrees in illustration, but The benefit of being at the school is they have internships with everyone from Disney to all these different movie studios and the opportunity for her to earn designing toys for Target and all of these opportunities that she could not get from our living room. She would have to have been in to this college who makes it their business to send their best and brightest students to all of these amazing internships at movie studios and things of that sort. So yeah, the school thing to me, even if you don't graduate from the school, you know, that's your own prerogative, but at least go (laughs) to get, you you know, you've gotten your foot in the door. 
Yeah, yeah, get those opportunities that these movie studios and these brands only send to these schools because they want the brightest artists and designers to come out and go directly to work for them. They don't want their competition to get these bright artists and designers. So, you know, they send those internship requests to the SCADs and the more colleges of art and FIT and Parsons. And so you want to be right there when the opportunities come through. Absolutely. Like I said, that's really good advice. So the last thing that I want to ask you, since we're getting towards the yeah. end here, actually, we're not getting towards the end. We are at the end. Okay. <laughs> if, <laughs> if you could give three places, like three fashion boutiques or fashion concept stores or fashion designers, in either your city that you live in or your region to someone looking in from the outside, maybe they're looking to visit or collaborate with someone, what would be those three recommendations? Okay. Um, Besides myself, I run Gypsy Leather Goods and I love to collaborate with other artists and produce work that came from two brains instead of my one. But also I'm a big fan of an artist. Well, she's a designer, Bridget Artis. She is the author of, I have her book right here, Born Again Vintage, and she owns a pretty big boutique in Atlantic City where she sells only sustainable fashion. And so she does collaborate with other artists on an ongoing basis. So Bridget Artis. And then right in Philadelphia, there's Grant Boulevard, and they also are a sustainable fashion boutique. And they are actually, I just saw a post that they are working on a collection that highlights Black innovation. And so I'm not sure what that is going to look like, but... It's interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. They're working on a collection that is going to bring, for Black History Month, that's going to bring more focus on Black history and Black innovation combined with fashion and sustainability. So yeah, I recommend that people pay attention to who's already in a sustainable field, who's been doing already for years. Like I've been doing upcycle leather for 20 years now and not someone who's jumping on the bandwagon. Now, I don't mind. This is a bandwagon that I don't mind people jumping on because it's good for the planet. But if you're going to follow sustainability in fashion, definitely start with some designers who have been in the forefront for quite some time. Absolutely. So yeah, thanks for being on the podcast, Tarina. Now, if our listeners want to look you up or communicate with you or anything at all, like where would you recommend that they find you out online? We'll put this in the show notes. All right. So my website is my name, TarinaNicole.com, T-E-R-I-N-A-N-I-C-O-L-E.com. My YouTube channel, definitely please subscribe. I'm at Tarina Nicole Design Studio on YouTube and on Instagram. I am the underscore sustainable underscore style underscore studio. The Sustainable Style Studio. All right, everybody. So if you want to find Trina online, that's where you can check her out. And I think that this was a lot of really good advice. 
I learned a lot even. So again, thanks for being on, Tarina, and we'll talk to you soon. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Thank you so much. Take care. Thanks for listening. If you got value out of today's episode, it'd mean a lot to me if you'd rate, review, and subscribe to the Manic Metallic Podcast. Be sure to tell all of your fashion-inclined friends and co-workers about the podcast as well. This would really help us to spread our message about fashion being an art, discipline, and force for societal change. And don't forget to stay in touch with us by subscribing to the Manic Metallic newsletter and following us on Instagram. Feel free to reach out to us through either of those means. I'd love to hear from you. I'll link these all in the show notes. You're the best. See you next episode.